Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com, and as always, I am joined by the one, the only Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. Are you ready to talk some football? I am ready, Brett. I am always ready to talk college football with you. I, we said it last week. I'll say it again. It's week seven now. We are officially halfway through this regular season. It's crazy. Stop time. This. I know. Time <laughs> flies. I love the games. We love the Saturdays. It doesn't feel like it should be, but it is. So another reminder to everyone, do not miss this. Do not sleep on this. Don't do your errands. Like You have to enjoy it because I promise you in two months, we are going to be wishing we had regular season college football and it flies by that fast. So yes, Brett, I am ready. I am always ready. And uh, we got a good slate here, weeknight games, and, uh, and we'll get into the weekend on a later segment. But yes, it's going to be good. Yes, and another reminder, before we dig into everything, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. I am at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at KFord Ratings. We'll be here every single week breaking down the college football slate as well as the individual weeknight games, which is what we are here to do today, as you alluded to. We've got more weeknight college football action as the 49 days of football continues to roll on. Kelly, we even had Tuesday football. A little peek behind the curtain. It is Tuesday night while we are recording this, and there's football on TV right now. Uh, I did an individual video on those. I will be doing those every Monday for you guys listening if you're getting into the Tuesday night. But we're here to talk Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And a quick note on a game that we will not touch on, but I just wanted to talk about. Uh, Sam Houston State, New Mexico State, if you're looking to bet it, this is a potential windy game. There's a gigantic storm system sweeping through the entirety of the central and eastern U.S., uh, which, yeah, that will certainly come up in conversation, probably more about the Saturday slate as we put that out later on. All right, but the first game. Oh, yeah, this is a good one to lead with. UTEP. On the road at FIU, the hometown Panthers home, or home team Panthers are two-point favorites, and this game carries an over/under of 44 points. Kicks off Wednesday night at 7:30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. How about that? Like an elevated network for this game here. UTEP actually opened as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, but it's been all FIU since then. Do keep in mind we are looking for maybe potential rain, might be a little breezy. Not talking something anything crazy, but 13, 14 mile an hour winds. Kelly, this is about as nasty as it gets in terms of matchups this year. If, if you're looking at it, th- this is my 128th and 129th power-rated teams. The only lower matchup I can find on the schedule this season is Kent State-Akron. It's football, though, right? It's football. We're going to leave it at that. We're talking about it because that's what we do on this show. So, yeah, let's get into what this game is. Yeah, UTEP actually comes in with a big rest advantage. They were on bye Saturday while FIU had their bye the Saturday prior um, they, uh, they lost to New Mexico State on Thursday. So UTEP had an extra little week to get ready for this game. FIU, their quarterback, Keon Jenkins, suffered a concussion at the end of the last game. Watch for the updates if he plays or not. I, on the short-ish week, I'm kind of leaning that he probably doesn't play in this game, but do keep an eye on the old uh, Twitter machine to make sure whether he's in or out. Now, on the other side, UTEP's dealing with quarterback injuries as well. Gavin Hardison has been dealing with a shoulder injury. He did not play in week five. Look, the Miners tried three different quarterbacks in that game. It was a disaster. The best one was Cade McConnell, maybe. He was four for 11 passing for 48 yards, and that led the team. Uh, As a team combined, they were nine for 28 for 101 yards, no touchdowns. They scored 10 points against the vaunted Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. Look, I'm not convinced that UTEP isn't the worst team in the FBS or close to, and yeah, I'm serious about that. They've scored 14, 7, 10, 28. Okay, all right, fine and then 10 against FBS teams. Uh, and one of those teams' power rates higher than 86, that being Arizona. 
Uh, Dana Dimmel is probably on his way out after this, considering UTEP actually had like some expectations coming in. I took a flyer on the conference uh, title, but boy, are they putrid. The total opened up at 48.5 points. That was a mistake. Uh, I'd, I'd probably still bet under 44, 44.5 if you can find it, because I'm not sure either of these teams can score. They're working on backup quarterbacks, and the defenses can provide some resistance, a little bit at least. Uh, but knowing Conference USA, that could be flipped completely upside down. What do your numbers say about this one? Yeah, Brett, this one has a watchability score of 2.9 out of 10. Out of, so, so out of, oh. at, out of 10. So, I mean, it's down there. It does help that I project this to be a competitive game. Competitiveness is a component of the watchability scores. Quality is a much higher component, um, but it is getting full full credit in the in the uh, the competitiveness category. So, there's a lot of red on both these teams' dashboards. I do have this game as a pick'em, Brett. That's why the competitiveness rates, you know, as high as it can. I have a 52% win expectancy for UTEP. Might not sound like... I'm picking UTEP in this game based on what I'm about to say, but the model does lean ever so slightly towards UTEP. UTEP's power rating ranks are down across the board, Brett, compared to the preseason. The Miners are power rated number 127 overall, the number 125 offense, and the number 117 defense. Again, there's only 133 FBS teams, guys. All of these units and overall, it's really, really bad. At 1-5, UTEP has 1.4 fewer wins than I projected through Week 6. That puts them just outside the bottom 10 on my over-under achievers list. Uh, FIU came into the year power rated number 132, so that's second to last in the FBS. Currently, the Panthers are number 130, and they have the number 123 offense, the number 112 defense. Unlike UTEP, though, FIU, despite those poor power rating metrics, they're overachieving uh, preseason realistic win-loss expectations. At 3-3, three and three, the Panthers have 1.2 more wins than I projected through six weeks. FIU, though, desperately needs this one if they want any chance to go bowling this year. And again, like just saying going bowling should be celebrated. Coming into the year, I gave that a 6% chance. Now it's up to 12, so they've doubled their chances. It's still not great. They need this one if they want to go bowling. Um, with Liberty and Western, the two favorites in Conference USA, there's negligible conference championship game leverage in this game. But bottom line, even though I said more positive things about FIU, basically the fact they're overachieving, than I did UTEP, who is underachieving by a significant margin, the model has it as a pick It's a 52% win expectancy for UTEP on the road in this one. Brad, I will say a 2.9, like just for context, that's the fourth lowest watchability score of the week. So there are less, quote, watchable games, again, largely because their competitiveness is not grading up to par. So, hey, will this be on, you know, the main screen? No, but it is a weeknight game, so it'll be on a screen. How about that? And uh, let's see, you have them, the 125th rated offense for UTEP. Look, if Hardison doesn't go, their top wide receiver, Tyron Smith, made he he's so weird he's a game time decision but the reports are suggesting that if he doesn't play this game he's going to redshirt so utep could be without hardison and tyron smith and look without those two 133 132 absolute best uh this is a this is an offense that that's just will not find the end zone without these two players in so just keep an eye on that uh both teams they they turn the ball over quite a bit utep is a bottom 15 team in give giveaways that is partly Gavin Hardison's fault. He's a big-time turnover-worthy throw and interception thrower. Uh, that can either stall drives and be good for betting the under, or it can create short fields and lead to increased scoring. It kind of depends, obviously, where at on the field it happens and, and what the opposite team does with it. I, you know, playing under trusting the backup quarterbacks, I can, you know, I, I trust that they continue to be a total mess 
and that these offenses continue to be inefficient, especially with the injuries on tap, uh, the under would be the only play for me in this one. But moving forward, we have a Big 12 matchup on tap. We have the West Virginia Mountaineers now three-point favorites on the road at Houston. This game carries an over-under 51.5 points, and it kicks off on Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern on FS1. This is the Dana Holgerson Bowl. He, he was famously head coach of West Virginia before moving over to Houston. And West Virginia, I got to be upfront about this. They've been outplaying expectations, no doubt. But even at 4-1, and one, I still kind of question the legitimacy of this team. Look, if you look at Bill Connolly's second-order wins, which I love, he takes post-game win expectancy and ties it in there to, to what he expects a team to average given their stats and, and all those things. They only have three second-order wins, not four wins like they actually have, which, look, they're only one of eight teams to have one fewer win in the post-game win expectancy than what they have on that. I didn't articulate that very well, but if you're looking for it, go to his Twitter, check it out. It's it's a little, it's a bit complicated, but he, he puts it much better words. They've beaten Pitt, they've beaten Texas Tech, they've beaten TCU. All of those teams are way down from preseason to expectations, like way down. These are teams that are falling absolutely flat. But hey, don't apologize for wins. Four and one is four and one. If you're a West Virginia fan, listen to this. Yeah, four and one. Don't don't apologize. Don't look back. Just take your wins and go. And to be honest, I don't think Houston is the team that's really going to expose this if West Virginia is even going to be exposed at all. I don't know. Maybe exposed isn't the right word for it. But look, the, Houston's wide receivers have dropped nearly 10% of Donovan Smith's total attempts. That's near the top of the nation. Matthew Golden, I was expecting him to be this breakout go-to guy, but he has six drops on the year, which is tied for the second most nationally. Smith is also, he's at his absolute best when he's extending the play, finding somebody wide open downfield. If you watched the first half of the Texas Tech game, he, he was gashing them, stepping up in the pocket, moving over and finding somebody 25 yards wide open downfield. The West Virginia has a pretty good pass rush, even though they really haven't faced a mobile quarterback quite like Donovan Smith yet. They did give up an explosive run to Chandler Morris of TCU before he went down with an injury. So maybe that's a front that Donovan Smith can take advantage of. But the team in general, I think, is a mess Twice this year, they've been shell-shocked in the first half. They allowed 35 just a couple of weeks ago to Texas Tech and 28 to Rice, including 28 in that first uh, quarter there. Look, two Texas Tech scores were on special teams, and they had a missed field goal, so they're uh, you know not quite indicative of what the final score might have said there. Uh, but Houston, missed tackles are a big issue, too, with this team. 64% of West Virginia running back C.J. Donaldson's yards this year have come after contact. So if you're looking for some props to play there, maybe not a bad look on the over for Donaldson. And their quarterback, Garrett Green, he's a very good athlete, runs the football pretty well. Maybe you can look at rushing yards for Green as well. But uh, he's about as risk-averse as it gets. No passing touchdowns in two full FBS games, one turnover-worthy throw that was picked, and about a 50% completion guy in the year. Yeah, Brett, this one has a watchability score of 6.7, and I'm glad we're talking about it. Uh, it's a tale of two seasons for these teams. Um, unranked by the AP poll, I had to go check uh, because I don't look at the AP poll except when I'm writing the article for thelines.com and when I want to make comments like this I'm about to make. Unranked by the AP poll, the Mountaineers, I think, are being criminally disrespected for what they've accomplished. Kind of like what you, you said there, Brett. I have West Virginia number 14 in my most deserving rankings. Only a 45% chance the average top 25 FBS team would be 4-1 and one or better against that schedule. 1.9 more wins than projected through week six. That makes West Virginia number six on my overachievers list. So I agree with you. They are overachieving expectations this year. They've achieved a lot against the schedule that they've played. 
I don't know why they aren't getting respect in the AP poll. I agree with you that, you know, some of the game, the teams that they played are having worse seasons than we expected. Like the wins that they had at the time are not looking as good now as we thought they would. But I'm not in the business of taking away credit from a win. Hey, we thought the win was this at the time. That's the team they play. They're not playing the team today. They played the team in week two and week three. So to me, West Virginia deserved to be ranked. I have number 14. From a power rating standpoint, though, I also agree with you. Their ranking in the resume is better than their rating in the power rating. Even with that, though, I have West Virginia minus five and a half. It's a 66% win expectancy. The Mountaineers power rating is up nearly four points from the preseason, and their regular season win total projection has improved from 4.8 to 7.8. Wow. That's the, that's the fourth largest net increase of any team in FBS. I mean, three more wins when you only projected less than five to begin with, that's huge. It's been a great year for West Virginia so far, and the schedule sets up in such a way, Brett, as you're looking forward, that I think they're going to get a few more as we keep going. This should be a strength versus strength game. I've got number 35, West Virginia defense, being the best unit in the game. They're going against the number 38, Houston offense. For Houston, the 17-14 to win against UTSA was a great way to start the season. It has been all downhill since then, and it's trending towards a disappointing maiden season here in the Big 12 for Houston. At number 97, the defense is the worst in the Big 12. And the number 63 West Virginia offense should be able to take advantage of that in this game. The Cougars' power rating is down nearly three points from the preseason. They're nearly a win behind schedule, as outlined in my preseason realistic expectations. And to make matters worse for Houston, there isn't a single game remaining on their schedule in which I make Houston a favorite. You know, Conversely with West Virginia, they're a favorite in every single game, except for a trip to Oklahoma. I also have a pick in their trip to UCF. So, these two teams trending in different directions already. Continuing that trend is what the projection is moving forward. Oklahoma and Texas are the big favorites in the Big 12, Brett. We know this. But with a win in this one, West Virginia would move to 3-0 and in conference play, and they would have a 23% chance to make it to Arlington. That's third best in the conference. It's worth noting the Mountaineers do not play Texas this season. So, if West Virginia is able to run the table, let's say, against everyone but Oklahoma in conference play, they end the year with only one loss. Texas already has a loss. If Texas stubs their toe, my numbers aren't calling for that, but it is college football after all. If Texas stubs their toe and West Virginia takes care of business against everybody not named Oklahoma, West Virginia's in the driver's seat in that scenario. So we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, there's a long way to go. But bottom line, I have West Virginia minus 5.5. It's a 34% chance that Houston earns their first Big 12 conference win. Oh, my God. That would be something. West Virginia and Arlington by the end. Can you imagine? That would be impossible. That'd be so – honestly, be great for the sport. Um, except that they probably would get throttled. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. My numbers there. right now, my numbers right now make that game a twenty-two point spread. Granted, that's <laughs> yeah. at, that's at Oklahoma. So, what you're looking at a twenty-ish point spread, maybe just under that at a neutral site. But I mean, Brett, if I go back to the preseason real quick, my numbers gave West Virginia a one percent chance. So this is the best thing about probabilities. Yeah. They can be like, oh, you didn't think we'd make it? No, actually, I said there's a one percent chance, and that one percent played out. So a one percent chance though, three point three projected conference wins. You look at it now for West Virginia, and they're up to like I said, a win here makes it twenty-three percent. They currently are projecting it. 5.8 conference wins. It's been a great season for West Virginia so far. That's not bad. I I think West Virginia with the points is the only way I lean here. It was two and a half for the uh, early part of uh, of the week, and and now it's three. So you're not getting the hook there. You know you're missing out on on, on a big edge there. So probably you know two and a half was a play I would have had. Uh, Houston's playmakers are just too inconsistent. And, and look, I I have little to no faith left in Dana Holgerson. So. 
Maybe you can still play the minus three. I, I don't hate that. Both teams are coming off a bye week. And look, Dana Holgerson is 5-11-1 against spreads, a home dog. I, I pick and choose my spots for trends. That's a trend I, th- I think matters. Uh, Holgerson can't get his teams up when you're a home underdog. So, uh, yeah, West Virginia with the points for me on that one. All right, we have SMU, a 12-point favorite on the road at East Carolina. We're getting all sorts of conferences on these weeknight games here that I'm excited Love to it. talk about. This game has an over-under of 49.5 points, and it kicks off on Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on the main ESPN channel. This one actually uh, trumps West Virginia and Houston in terms of network favorability here. Uh, this line opened SMU minus 9.5, and, and then it's been all Mustangs since. Uh, they took a, a fast movement there until they got 12 and about slowed down. At a dead number, East Carolina they've uh, they've tumbled this season after they lost Holt Naylor's Keaton Mitchell. Look, they they were 33rd in points per drive last season. They're 128th now, 130th in net points per drive. Kelly is bad, man. They've zero FBS wins. The team goes back and forth between quarterbacks Mason Garcia and Alex Flynn. Flynn's a sub 50% completion guy, and Garcia's a sub six yard a dot. So. We're not talking about either one having a particular leg up on the other. And they just waffle. They just go game to game. Whoever's the hot hand, quote unquote, because neither one's really a hot hand. That's kind of what they ride. They're not very disciplined team. Look, on defense, they give up outside contain a lot, particularly scrambling quarterbacks. The offensive line doesn't communicate well, at least not from what I see in their games. And they've got a lot of free blitzers that run through the line. You can look at that Marshall game. Uh, There was like three or four white hats in the backfield like every play. Uh, So we're not talking about a very disciplined team on offense or defense. On the other side, SMU's offense, they're not really off the ground yet. They're only 84th nationally in success rate. Preston Stone, who I had high expectations for, is only completing 58% of his passes. Just for reference, Tanner Mordecai was near 70%. And this is a similar, if not the same, offensive system that they had in place. So Preston Stone not living up to his predecessor yet. But the defense has been really surprising to me. Uh, They held Oklahoma to 14 points going into that fourth quarter. They're 17th on early down EPA versus East Carolina's offense, who's 123rd on early down. So they're not getting the, the rock going very well. They're finding themselves in second and long, third and long uh, pretty consistently here. And East Carolina is also 111th and third down conversion rate, just 32%. So they're not doing well in the early downs, and then they're not converting the third downs. And that's pretty evident with the amount of points that they're scoring against teams. Not a lot. Uh, the biggest mismatch here for me is the SMU defensive line against East Carolina's offensive line. The Pirates grade as the worst pass-blocking team in the country as we speak, according to Pro Football Focus, versus TCU. SMU's defensive line was like three to four yards in the backfield almost every player. They're getting massive push off there. They're finding gaps, shedding their tackles, and making plays in the backfield. For the most part, TCU was able to run away with that game, though, however. Uh, you know They were able to offset losing the line of scrimmage battle with explosives. Guys were running free in the secondary. You know That's a testament to us having some pretty good and pretty fast wide receivers in Fort Worth. That's something East Carolina does not have. In fact, they don't have a player or a receiver on their team with an ADOT over 11.5 yards, so it's a lot of check down conservative stuff. Uh, this, team's just, this team's broken. Brett, this one's got a watchability score of 5.7. Again, that's out of 10. Uh, it's all about SMU for me in this one. I have SMU minus 10.5. It's a 78% win expectancy. SMU is and has been every single week the favorite to make and win the AAC championship uh, by my numbers. The Mustangs power rating is up more than a field goal compared to the preseason. They're currently number 38 nationally. That's number one in the conference. SMU also has the Americans best offense at number 39 and the second best defense at number 61. 
the only game in which my numbers make SMU a single-digit favorite the rest of the regular season is at Memphis in Week 12. My numbers currently favor the Mustangs by only two in that one. They are a double-digit favorite in every other game by my numbers. Currently at 1-4, East Carolina has 1.4 fewer wins than I projected through six weeks. That's just outside the bottom 10 on my over-under achievers list in the wrong direction there for the Pirates. The defense has been pretty good, honestly. They rank number 70 nationally for me. That's number three in the conference, but it's the offense that's just been dreadful. They rank number one 26 nationally out of 133 teams. There are wins to be had on the Pirates' upcoming schedule. I, I believe that as I look forward and look at what my projected lines are, expected win or win expectancies for those games. I just don't think it's in the cards this week uh, against this SMU team that I have as the best in the conference. With a win, SMU's chances to reach the title game improve to 79%. However, with a loss. The Mustangs will fall behind the winner of Tulane at Memphis, which is definitely the game of the week in the American here. Um, so this, it's I'm not projecting they're going to lose, but it'd be costly if you lose a game like this, one that you're a big favorite in with regard to their chances to make the American Championship game, uh, especially when you look, they do have that Memphis game on the road later in the year. You don't want to be in a position where you have to win that one to get in if you're SMU. Bottom line, I have SMU minus 10.5. It's a 22% chance that East Carolina earns their first conference win of the year uh, at home here. Yeah, it's hard to bet into a number uh, that's moved so far. It's at a, it's, you know, 12 is a dead number. So honestly, you can feel free to wait, see if there's any sort of buyback on East Carolina at all, because betting minus 12 and minus 13, there's not really a huge percentage difference in terms, in terms of break even point there. But honestly, if I have a play here, I'm, I'm leaning under the point total. Uh, the best of that number is also gone, but I don't know that's low enough. Look, East Carolina has scored the following points against FBS opponents. 3, 13, 28, and 17. But look, you have to look into that 28 points deeper than just on the surface because it was against App State and two of the scores came on defense. So the offense hadn't scored more. Get this, Kelly. The offense has not scored more than one single touchdown against an FBS team this year. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's a legit concern there. There's no really two ways about that. Yeah, so I'm taking under the point total here, 49 and a half. I, I, will, I will absolutely uh, have that on my card this Thursday. I don't usually talk about the betting lines, Brett. You, you're here for that, and you do a great job with it. I do have to say, I, it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's, I don't know why it provides me some level of comfort or satisfaction when the line will open say on one side of my line and then by the time the game comes it's gone to the other side so you said it opened SMU minus nine and a half my number's SMU minus ten and a half I don't move it that's just what that's what my number is now it's SMU minus 12 so it has crossed by my number I for some reason that just like gives me satisfaction again there's really no rhyme or reason it's not a good or bad thing but to know that I'm in that ballpark on this game and as is the case in many it's a good sign for the model and trying to, you know, make sure that we're in alignment with where uh, we need to be to, to accurately project these teams. So just of note there, as you said, it made me think of it. I haven't said that in a while on the show, I don't think. Well, we've, we've talked about it probably in the distant past, but like I have such a love-hate relationship with my number being on market. Because like, yeah, that, that means that my power ratings are, you know, decent, but I also don't have an edge to play in it. So I'm kind of like, I kind of wish mine were a little bit off market. Um, but you know, being on markets is, is certainly better in the long run than not being. All right. Our last game on the slate here. We have Fresno state, a six point favorite on the road at Utah state. 
This game carries an over-under 57 points and kicks off Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network, the rightful home to all late-night Friday night games. I, I lo- Kelly, I love games on CBS Sports Network. Something about it just tickles me. It's great. And, and the Mountain West is a good, I mean, it's a good home for the Mountain West. Like you associate yes. CBS Sports Network with the Mountain West and the Mountain West with CBS Sports Network. So I agree. Absolutely. The under in this game took a lot of action on Tuesday. That was down from 60.5, like I said, down to 57. Nah, this could be something to do with the quarterback Mikey Keene went down with an injury in Fresno State's loss to Wyoming. I'm not sure if he's going to be playing in this game or what the severity of it is yet. Jeff Tedford came out on Monday and said, yeah, it's an ankle injury, and that's about all we know. So we're kind of waiting to see on that. Again, fire up the old Twitter machine, figure out if he's playing or not, if you are listening to this here. Um, this is a short week, though, uh, even though it's only one day less, but you know, still a short week, so it would be tough to get him back in the driver's seat right away. If you're looking at his uh, reserve, Logan Fife. He's not, an ide- he's not the best backup. Uh, he had two touchdowns, six interceptions, seven turnover-worthy plays in four starts last year. The team went two and three, but they scored fewer than 21 points in four of the five games in which Fife was the primary game, including the other game where Jake Hayner went out. Uh, he went seven for 11 for 68 yards, a touchdown, and a pick against Wyoming last week trying to play catch-up. Now, in the backfield, Running back Malik Sherrod has been taking, uh, he's been taking over as the lead running back role. He's been uh, evolving into a more lead running back role, and he's been pretty efficient. 6.4 carry, went for 123 yards against Nevada. Uh, you know, it, he goes against Utah State's defense. That's 124th in rushing success rate, so he gets a little bit of a softer test this week. Quarterback McKay Hillstead for Utah State left week five and did not play in week six. He's to be determined whether or not he's going to play. I don't think there's a huge difference between him and Cooper Lagasta. So pick, you know, pick and take. Uh, Lagasta's a pretty good uh, athlete, pretty good runner. Utah State went down 17-0 early to Colorado State. Looks like it was going to be curtains for them until they scored 37 unanswered points and won that game outright. There were nine total turnovers and 125 total yards of penalties between these two teams. It was uh, a fun game, but certainly uh, one to the bane of the existence of people that enjoy clean football. Uh, Utah State also lived and died by long plays. They had touchdowns of 76, 51, 48, 24, 19 yards. So it, it, there were no punch it in from the two-yard line scores for the Aggies in this one. They actually have the eighth most 20-plus yard plays on the season so far. Pretty explosive. Fresno State's defense, on the other hand, has allowed the 12th fewest 20 or more yard plays. Now, can Utah State's offense operate without those explosives? They're 60th nationally in success rate. So the numbers say sometimes, not always. You certainly can't hang your hat on that. Uh, And on defense, Utah State's biggest issue is rushing the passer. They're the 18th graded team in pass coverage per PFF, but they have just six sacks in the year. So they're not getting home. They're not getting those blanket sack coverages. Best answer in life. Sometimes, maybe, it depends. Can't always count on it. Like, that's just a blanket answer you can give at anything in life. I love it. Uh, Yeah, I did did get called a fence sitter last year. So I I will sit on fences from time to time. Well, listen, I talk in probabilities, Brett. Like, that allows me to talk out both sides of my mouth at the same time and never be wrong. So I get it, man. It's an art. Uh, yes, but it depends. The best answer you can give, it's always the answer in Econ 2. One of my professors told me that a very long time ago. I forget the subject matter now. But anyway, this game has a watchability score of 5.9. Um, here's the list of teams, Brett, that have fallen in Laramie, Wyoming this season. It's Texas Tech, Portland State, App State. New Mexico, and after last week, Fresno State. Holding steady in the top two of the conference standings every week. It was all right in front of the Bulldogs. 
and they let it slip away at least for now. They can still work their way back, though, as my numbers do project the Bulldogs as a favorite of more than a field goal in every remaining game. In this one, I have Fresno State minus five. It's a 64% win expectancy. Despite the loss last week, I still have Fresno State as the second best team in the Mountain West at number 52 nationally. They have a top three offense and a top two defense in the conference. Both rank in the low 40s nationally. Utah State's power rating has improved more than five points since the preseason, and the Aggies are up to number 86 nationally. But the defense is still sub-100, as they have been for most of the year. The offense, though, is up to a season-best number 61. That's good enough for fourth-best in the conference currently. Even though this game is in Logan, Brett, the Utah State defense is by far the weakest unit in this one. And I think that proves to be the difference in this game. A win for Fresno State would see their chances to make the conference championship game bounce back up to 36%. While a loss would leave them with two losses in conference play already and less than a 10% chance to make it to the championship game. If Utah State gets the win, they'd have a 1-5 in chance to make a surprise uh, run and appearance in the championship game. A loss might as well knock Utah State out of this. I put out the leverage graphics this week, Brett, out on Twitter. They're on the website. The Air Force-Wyoming game this week in the Mountain West, it has the most leverage. It's huge. Those are two of the top three contenders. Depending on how that game goes, though, could be huge for Fresno State. There's really four teams in this thing. Air Force, Boise State, Wyoming, Fresno State. Some combination of those. Again, Fresno lost an opportunity last week to really separate themselves, and they let Wyoming into this thing. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for this Mountain West race. The Air Force-Wyoming game, for sure. But this Fresno State game, the Bulldogs cannot lose this game. They, they, they simply cannot afford to lose this game if they want to make it to that championship game in the conference. Bottom line, I have Fresno State minus five. It's a 36% chance that Utah State earns the upset win at home in this one. I worry about Fresno without Mikey Keene. I, I really do. Last year, I, I know Mikey Keene isn't Jake Hayner, but he's been solid. And without Jake Hayner, dude, things got ugly for this team. They have a bye week next week, luckily, so maybe they can get him back. Again, we're still waiting to hear what even happened with him. But, you know, UNLV, Boise, San Jose State on deck. Like, that's not an easy row of three teams. I know Boise's not playing that well, but that's not an easy stretch of three. If Keen's out, I'm downgrading Fresno at least four points, maybe even six. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to evaluate it, think about it a little bit. But, look, if he's out, I think Utah State's live to, to just win this game outright. I know they have their own quarterback thing. But they they're explosive with or without Hillstead. Uh, I I think I think Keen matters way more to the point spread than Hillstead does. Um, so just yep, yeah, just watch the market, see how it reacts. That'll be the first one to tell you if he's playing or not. If all of a sudden you see some steam on Thursday in favor of Utah State, Mike Keen's probably out. So that's what I'm waiting on there. I think Fresno. Or I think Utah State's live to win this game. Honestly, either way. <laughs> they're really they're an explosive team that's playing a conference foe on a weeknight at home. That's dangerous. That's dangerous in any situation. I don't really care who the two teams are playing. That's something I'm probably looking to. Anyway, that'll do it. Hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in the college football channel. Join a sharp and very active community. Win or lose, we're in there talking about all these games. Don't forget to subscribe to Lines YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long. 
and subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. Drop us a good review if you like the show and let us know down in the comments what side you are uh, leaning in all of these games. Whether you agree or disagree with my leans and Kelly's numbers, let us know. Kelly, before we close up shop, please let everybody listening know where they can find your work. Absolutely. You can find me on X at K Ford Ratings. You can find me uh, on the website, kfordratings.com. And you can find me over at thelines.com. Two featured articles a week. One of them uh, highlighting the two games with the highest watchability scores, as I referenced throughout this episode. And then one comparing the most deserving rankings to the AP poll. Uh, certain teams keep finding their way onto that list. And I'll keep pounding the, the table saying it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. West Virginia's not getting enough love. Michigan's getting too much, all that stuff. So thelines.com, k4ratings.com, that's got, that's got you covered. Or that you ranked North Carolina over Georgia in resume rankings that people just can't get their head around it. It's fine. A parting shot on the way out of this episode, huh? I did not understand what all that was about, but hey, people have fun. It came from North Carolina fans, too. I was like, what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> whatever. Hey, yeah, whatever. Anyway, we'll leave you with that parting shot. Thank you so much, as always, for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.